Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So, uh, we look at the businesses, uh, business stories that have been breaking uh, earlier in the week and indeed overnight. I'm delighted to be joined uh, this morning by uh, Susan Hayes Culleton of Hayes Culleton. She's also aka the Positive Economist and also by Ken Murphy, the former Director General of the Law Society. And Susan, uh, you, you wanted to give a little shout out first of all before we got down to the business uh, of today's business stories. I do indeed. I just want to wish my mum and dad uh, a very happy 40th wedding anniversary. Margaret and Michael Hayes, they 40 years ago today they got married almost equidistant between Timaleague and Leash in Inishannon and I'm embarrassingly proud of both of them so I just wanted, I know they're what? listening today and just wanted to give a shout out to okay, them. Okay, not if at I'd, all. If I'd known we were doing shout outs I'd have had something prepared <laughs> and now you've exposed me so I'll have to have one next time. <laughs> I'll be back to you on my 35 year uh, anniversary which is coming up soon God how am I married that long so we better get on with the business uh, stories uh, let's look at the front page of today's mail Susan uh, staffing shortages hammer consumer watchdog um, apparently there's 27 vacancies at this organisation I don't know how many people work there but it seems like a big staff shortage it's the, this week we heard that the unemployment rate in Ireland is at 3.9% and if you look at what full employment in a country is, it's when the unemployment is at 4%. So we're actually overemployed, you could say, in Ireland. And this story really t- points towards that. So the organisation, which is the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Now, people will really know that better as consumerhelp.ie. It's a super website that's very helpful for anyone who's trying to decide on costs for interest rates and for utilities, etc. But it is 27 vacancies in ver- in some of them in crucial senior positions and particularly those positions are in consumer protection and enforcement an important one obviously competition enforcement and mergers product safety HR policy cartels and the digital investigation teams and this comes despite the fact that their funding has increased from 10.6 million in 2019 to 19 million this year I mean in essence Bobby they can't find the people to do the jobs yeah. and in an, in an environment where we are looking at very high inflation and when there's a lot to do around here it really is a big issue and politically it's causing quite a stir as well. Yeah, Ken what were your thoughts on this? There was, a little, there was a little bit of criticism out there I think um, about uh, you know in, in the context of all the um, uh, whether there's price gouging going on and whether the, the public are being gouged um, and surely it's the job of the, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission which is a, was a kind of forced marriage of the of the Competition Authority and the Consumer Protection Agency back in about 2010. Um, But this is the new agency. And surprise, surprise, um, this story uh, by Craig Hughes on the front page of the Irish Daily Mail um, uh, helps to explain it from the perspective of that agency. Um, And it talks about, uh, or at least gives detail of, um, huge staff shortages, 27 vacancies for top jobs. And this is. This reminds me a little bit of uh, only about a week ago. We had the uh, director of public prosecutions office also talking about being understaffed and underfunded mm-hmm. after it'd been, there'd been some possible <clears throat> criticism of them in, in you know in, in the light of something that had happened. So uh, there may be more state yeah. agencies. No. State agencies generally may be understaffed and unable to perform the tasks that they're statutorily ob- obliged to perform in the public interest. Uh, and this is quite a striking one here, given that. 
that the top story, and we're going to be going on talking about it also, is, you know, the worst bout of food inflation in decades. The agency, which is supposed to monitor and and ensure that there is competition in keeping prices under control, is understaffed. Yeah, and not under-resourced, as Susan pointed out, in terms of the... Uh, the the, the amount of uh, resource, financial resource they actually have available. Let's move to that because um, on, on, on in today's Irish Independent, Charlie Weston is telling us that there's an end in sight for the worst bout of food price inflation in decades. And Susan, some of the figures here around, you know, the inflationary rises of sugar and of mm. milk. I know milk has come back, but frozen fish up 30%, um, sugar up 39%, eggs up uh, by 18%. These are big, big increases. They're very, very significant increases indeed. And I suppose in essence, the conversation around inflation isn't a new new story. It, it really characterised 2022. But I, I just want to set the scene here a little bit. So to, in Ireland today, inflation is at 7.2%. That is down mm. from 7.7% a month ago. But you've mentioned individual foodstuffs there, Bobby. The point is, grocery inflation is at 16.6%. And, you know, we heard this week in the US, the CPI figures, this consumer price index uh, figures were out, it's at 5.5% in the US. But there's always this distinguishing factor of what is core inflation. And they always say, well, core inflation strips out the volatile prices of food and energy. But the reality is, is that's what costs us in our pockets. So you can say what you want to the headline figures. The reality is, what are people experiencing in, in their Pockets. So you're saying energy and food are two of the big spends, so they have to be included. And they're also the ones we notice the most. Yeah. Yes. Like, so there's, yeah. a lo- there's a lot of people going out this morning to various different shops across Ireland and they're noticing the prices of things. But uh, the key thing that Charlie Weston is bringing up here is that prices fell by 3.8% when compared with February and agricultural input were input costs were down by 1.3% in March in comparison with February as well. So when you start there, the idea is is that it should work back. But we all know it's a long way from the input cost to make the way to somebody who, who's shopping right, right away. But I also think it's quite interesting what he pointed out here is that he said CSO figures show that the proportion of total household expenditure on food has halved. And there's a need to investigate retailer margins. Now, we won't go mm-hmm. back to our previous story, but no. there's an irony in that. And and as Charlie also says, um, this has raised hopes that food prices may have peaked for consumers. There's a, there's, that sounds a bit tentative to me. I think uh, it, there may be hopes in this regard. We haven't. We're not seeing it. Yet. Well, we also need to be aware as well that Christine Lagarde said this week <coughs> that in the ECB we are not pausing when it comes to interest rates. In contrast to the conversation that mm-hmm. has been had in the US over the past while, so we need to bear in mind is that inflate. If the ECB still needs to tackle inflation, uh, it's a little bit premature to say it might be at the end. But yeah, let's I think see. you but, might be right. But going to also in Charlie Weston's story, um, uh, harking back to what we were talking about earlier, the always quotable Fine Gael TD Michael Ring gets his picture into the story uh, with a quote as he's so good at this anyway meanwhile Michael Ring rural affairs former rural affairs minister Michael Ring says here quoted according to Charlie Weston as saying that his own government colleagues are being puppets for regulators such as the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission um, is this a different story Mr Ring said the only the only people who are regulated in this country are citizens while state agencies and bigger businesses uh, are not regulated at all Where's the watchdog to watch the watchdogs? He cries out. He's so quotable. He really is. Absolutely. Ken, when I have you there, um, yeah. we've often talked about white collar crime on this program. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we see that four jailed over gross abuse of trust and duty which investors lost their savings. This relates to Customs House Capital, mm-hmm. a saga that's been going on for, for almost, a long time, yeah. almost 14 years, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, four people have, have been charged and are going to jail, but the devastation and the fraud here is, is truly disturbing. Yes, there was a um, a total of um, again. This is a paper, um, uh, Emer Dodds report, um, but she has a little box where she says a total of one hundred and ninety seven victim impact statements were submitted to the court. Uh, this is the uh, the Circuit Criminal um, Dublin Circuit Criminal Court, um, and Miss Just anyway. This is the devastation because uh, you know these are this is the impact on victims. And these tended to be an awful lot of them were relatively small investors who yeah. were putting pension funds and life savings, small businesses and so on. And what happened, as now found, as now acknowledged, because the case didn't go to trial, they, they, these, this was a pleaded case. Um, senior executives of Custom House Capital, it says there have been sentences for roles in a highly organised and sophisticated operation to defraud investors in the form more than a decade ago. Series of named individuals get um, uh, prison awards, uh, prison sentences up um, of go- nearly seven years. Um, Judge Crow says victims were systematically deceived in a uh, sophisticated operation which was carried out over two years. The offending was most egregious, she said, and involved a gross abuse of trust and duty. But what happened was. Um, that individuals who had entrusted their money to Custom House Capital for equity purchases, for purchases in the shares market, when the property collapse began to arrive, in the expectation that there would be some recovery, presumably, their money was switched Mm. into property or their money ended up in property where the losses were tremendous and therefore uh, they were defrauded as as, as found and now people are serving sentences quite rightly for that. Ken, why would it take so long for a case like this to come to trial to like 14 years from beginning to end seems an inordinate length of time you know for justice to prevail. It it seems to be the difficulty of the liquidation of the company. Um, It's been very difficult to to trace funds. There's been uh, in uh, an update to the court, CRH's liquidator, Kieran Walsh, said 81 million in class. But but I can't find the exact paragraph here, but he said that the bookkeeping was not not what it should have been and therefore tracing funds (coughs) and finding funds and and being able to to work out what actually went on. Presumably if there was a sophisticated cover-up in Involved. Um, uh, John Isle has a piece in the Sunday in, in yeah, the, in I was the Irish Independent. Susan about yeah. that. So, <coughs> so in in this case, he talks about the numbers behind this, and there's 61 million of client money was used to plug holes without authorization. So, again, to set the scene for people here, imagine that you put your money into what you feel is cash. So, obviously, very risk averse, and equity. And by putting your money into equity, it means prices can be volatile, but you should be able to redeem it quickly. Mm. By moving it into property, then it's both volatile <coughs> and illiquid. And of course, particularly if you're moving cash into property without authorization, couple all of that then with property falling significantly. And on top of that, then people are getting wind of, okay, we need to take our money out, whether because they feel something was wrong or because of the, the time that was in it. Now, the numbers then that we have is that of that 61 million, 
41 million which is 64% of it of this amount has been recovered with clients receiving 39 million as of March last and also John uh, John Isle mentions in that piece that the administration fees have run over 6 million which also have had to be paid out of the liquidated assets of course what this doesn't mention at all Bobby is the impact emotionally and otherwise <coughs> the impact of inflation and of course what they didn't well, get by and the, being the other I suppose real sting in the tail for anybody who was unfortunate enough to lose their money here they wait 14 years and then they see that 6 million uh, is paid out in administration fees and they don't get anything. Well, and then the other uh, the other, the other thing here that I, I noticed in the in the piece is that mm-hmm. uh, clients have to apply for the investor compensation company uh, to get some of their money out, but payouts are limited to 90% that's of right, claims yeah. up to €20,000. Yeah. And that is, to think that that's where, where it stands, that's the most yeah. you can get in yeah. that specific Let, example. Let's move to a more positive story, mm-hmm. Ken. PepsiCo... In Cork, yes, um, let's go to work, Cork. <laughs> workforce up twenty percent in two years. They've announced uh, completion of a. They're nearing completion of a hundred and twenty-seven million investment in one of their uh, facilities, which I believe is in Little Island. Uh, but this is a great story. It and it's is a, for It's Cork. a business that's been there a long time. And of all the, and of all the mm. national newspapers to cover it, it's in fact the Examiner that has cho- chosen <laughs> to, go with, to go with this story. Um, global food and beverage brand, Emer Ward says, global food and beverage brand PepsiCo is nearing completion of a, of a 127 million investment in one of its Cork facilities, which will expand its manufacturing capacity. First established in Ireland almost 50 years ago, the multinational employer employs more than 1,250 people in, in Ireland, presumably most of them in Cork, it seems, um, increasing its workforce by more than 20% in the last two years. Both Little Island and Carrigaline get a mention. Um, the global brands, so that people can see what this relates to, the global brands known to everyone, Pepsi Max, Gatorade, 7-Up, Mountain Dew and Doritos. Um, so it looks as if, apart from the fact that 700 contractors and vendors during the site's development also benefited from this. So this is a good news story Who all around. Who would have known Doritos made on Little Island? There you go. <laughs> I think what's interesting as well here is that the global R&D of digital engineering was shifted to uh, to PepsiCo and Cork as well. I mean, mm-hmm. if you drive down that area or you, you drive around Ring of Skiddy, the sheer enormity of the impact of foreign direct investment yeah. in, in the county is, is striking. But w- as I was thinking back about th- this story earlier on today, I was thinking back to times that I've been in here, you know, talking about the tech roles and so on like that. And we've discussed the impact that when, when you have companies that are decreasing operations, generally speaking, the contractors and vendors don't get a mention. So it's really great to hear that that's been quantified. And I did have a look at the PepsiCo earnings report recently. Uh, PepsiCo have increased their sales globally by 10.2% in the past quarter. So it's really great to see that Ireland yeah. is getting a, a good mention in here. Um, can Ryanair's O'Leary loses a battle but wins the war? <coughs> um, I don't think he's lost too many battles. No, over he, doesn't, the years. he hasn't lost much. He hasn't uh, lost much. Joe Brennan has a nice has a nice piece on it in the yeah. Irish Times. When it, the only losing seems to be that he he might have done better earlier. You know, that's more or less the only losing involved. Um, he this is an enormous uh, purchase of Boeing jets. Um, and uh, it, it, you know, it, it again. We we probably saw it on TV last night. Um, uh, but but it, it's essentially the 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 twist in it that Joe Brennan has put on it is that um, uh, O'Leary uh, getting the best price had famously used industry crises in the past such as the fallout from 9-11 and the height of the COVID uh, travel 2020 to strike large purchase bargains yeah. but 
at the moment, Boeing is in a stronger position because the world airline market um, is pretty buoyant. Uh, and therefore, he's got a, a very good deal um, discount between yeah, 57 and, else will buy and the 71 percent. Exactly. Yeah. He represents it. There is a <clears> discount here. But some of these figures, you know, everybody gets a discount as far as I can see in, in this kind of purchase. Um, so 40 billion. But I've no doubt, knowing Ryan, uh, Michael O'Leary, that he's done an extremely good uh, bargain for Ryanair and also for himself because I, in another associated story here um, he says if Ryanair's share price is to exceed £21 for the period Euros, for a period of 20, 21 euro for, for a period of 28 days before the end of the CEO Michael O'Leary's current contract of 2028 it'll trigger an option for the CEO to buy 10 million shares at almost half that price delivering a gain for Michael O'Leary of around 100 million euro I think there's another element to this story from an investing point of view that I'd like to bring up so first of all the market is very happy this week share price is up 7% but in the in the piece later on there's some really big numbers here like Ryanair is expecting to grow its fleet from 540 aircraft now to 800 by the end of 2033 sorry and in addition this is striking is that it's estimating that is Ryanair is estimating that it will equate to almost a third of European short haul traffic by that time however when you look at how far this stock has to run the reality is is that 85% of its seat capacity is in Western Europe which is and it quotes here essentially fully penetrated so I really do wonder where is this going because what's the emphasis of this piece is that the company will be dishing out as it says 1.7 billion by way of dividends and share buybacks to investors two years from now rising to 2 billion by 2028 I mean I remember when I started learning about the stock market you never looked to Ryanair for a dividend and is that why it's going to go now is it more a a dividend and they've also said they're not interested in transatlantic and, and yeah. if, if there's going to be growth in Eastern <clears throat> Europe and that's where the growth is going to be you're, di- you're dealing with an entirely different environment there so I think this this is one to watch there's a short term and a long term story here and it'll be interesting and to see and if the they, roads they, diverge and that is identified here they talk about it and the quote is morphing from a growth engine into a steadfast cash return stock uh, briefly, Susan, uh, Musk confirms NBC executive Yaccarino as the new Twitter CEO. Glad you pronounced her name first there, Bobby. <laughs> so, yes, indeed, after a tweet that uh, Elon Musk put out last December and he asked everyone, do you think I should step down as CEO? Uh, 57.5% of people said yes. So, indeed, Linda Yaccarino is... Well, the share price went up when he said we're having a new CEO and then it went down when her name was mentioned. But what is also interesting, there's other ups and downs here, is that we've had a slight, we being Twitter, a slight uptick in daily users since early 2022, but Twitter's revenue has fallen 50% since October as a result of a massive decline in advertising. And she, uh, Linda herself, did ask Mr Musk whether he felt he had de-risked the platform enough to assure advertisers that their campaigns are going to land in awful, aren't going to land in awful hateful places of course Elon Musk is also saying he's overworked I mean he's CEO well no longer CEO of one of them three huge companies three huge companies and he says he's now sleeping sometimes in San Francisco in the HQ so he'd want to watch that finally Ken Murphy Miami Slice pizza is from the US and not from Italy tell us more everybody knows that pizza was invented in Naples Except apparently not so. Which one? Which um, Naples? Maybe, Na- maybe Naples, Florida. Um, so it seems pizza was invented in the US, not in Italy, uh, in that while a dish came from Italy, it was nothing like, according to a, and this is the, uh, uh, again, the, the Daily Mail, is it has um, mail foreign service, so this is just a, a syndicated story, um, that uh, some professor of, of uh, food history has said that what is referred to as the, the originator of pizza was nothing like pizza. And in fact, 
in Italy at the time the thing that was supposed to originate it was eaten as a dessert not the there pizza we, know. we know you heard it here folks Ken Murphy on pizza thank <laughs> you Ken Murphy thank you Susan Hayes Cullerton <laughs>